1: If you thought this show was a disaster before, wait until you hear this episode of the Legion Clubhouse.
0: DC special number 28, The City That Stopped Dead. Published June-July 1977. Written by Paul Levitz with art by Arville Jones. Synopsis, a massive disaster stretches the Legion to their limits.
1: DC special number 28. What is DC special, Matthew? We have not done... I mean, we've done some Crotty Kid. We've done some action comics and some Superboy, but not a DC special and not one, you know, 28 issues in. What's going on here?
2: DC special uh, during the 70s was an an anthology book, basically. Uh, And by the time... This came out in seventy seven. It was themed anthology. Ah, so at the beginning, you know, you'd have things where it's like, oh, it's an all girl issue, or we're going to reprint a bunch of strange sports stories. But by seventy five, seventy six, you'd get like a theme. So there's uh, issue nineteen is a war against giants. Uh, there's one that's all about uh, superheroes fighting gorillas.
1: Well, the gorilla previous self.
2: issue. Uh, issue 27 is Captain Comet and Tommy Tomorrow fighting dinosaurs.
1: Hmm. Well, yeah. this month's uh, uh, issue is all about natural disasters or just big disasters that are coming, which is
2: somewhat I fitting. They call them Earth Shuddering Disasters.
1: Yeah, it's somewhat fitting because you and I growing up, we landed at a time period where uh, disaster movies hit their peak, hit their golden age of disaster movies. So we had the Poseidon Adventure and Earthquake and the Towering Inferno all came out one right after another. And they were all about these mega disasters, you know, a, a, a cruise ship turning upside down and people having to, you know, work their way out. Uh, of this disaster to be survived. Earthquake is a big, huge California earthquake that destroys everything. And of course, Towering Inferno, what happens when you build a tower so high that they don't have
2: ladders tall enough to reach the top? Oh, don't forget Meteor. I love yeah,
1: Meteor. Yeah, those three that I named are the big ones, but they had a whole slew oh, yeah. of really cheap knockoff disaster ones. So, who can forget uh, uh, William Shatner's Tarantula?
2: kingdom of the Spider. yeah
1: yeah so it, it was really interesting because disaster movies generally have a very large cast of of characters uh you see a lot of people that'll come in real quick only to die seconds later and so it seems somewhat fitting that by 1977 i think towering inferno came out in 74 75 76 somewhere around there so 25 sounds right. Yeah. So as the disaster craze is starting to wind down in the movies and a lot of these uh, movies may be hitting like a cable television or an ABC Sunday night disaster movie uh, marathon, kids are starting to see this stuff that they may not have seen in the theaters. So it makes perfect sense to bring some of those stories or some of those ideas into comics. So Batman, for example, has to fight the Quake master. And then the next issue has everybody fighting the Quisp Master. And then we get to the Legion of Superheroes who have to fight uh, an, an old enemy that has finally returned. And he's he's set on blowing up the city.
2: I don't know if he's that old. I mean, it's it's Fenton Pike. You may remember him from issue 222, a couple of episodes of Legion Clubhouse ago. Uh, the guy who was going to blow up Metropolis when Tyrock was joining.
1: Yeah. He was working for the police department and got angry because his pension or something didn't work. And so he's just like, I'm going to blow up the city. No one can find this. And then Tyrock's like, let me scream through the city. And,
2: uh, he's a, he's a dime store Iron Man.
1: He really is. He looks like, uh, he's wearing like this really weird Asian themed Iron Man armor.
2: It's red and silver. And I just look at it and I'm like, wow, Tony Stark got really drunk. Yeah, and designed it. And it's just it's kind of hideous.
1: So the interesting thing about this particular disaster is it's not playing on an earthquake or a tsunami or anything like that. This disaster is the nuclear center of Metropolis, which powers everything. It has gone haywire because Fenton Pike has, has pulled some wires and crossed some wires and all these things. And it's really interesting because specifically how this this power sphere works in the future is it uses broadcast power, meaning that wirelessly uh, energy is being sent out all across Metropolis. And anyone who has uh, essentially today what would, we would see as a chi a, as a charger uh, or a key charger, depending on uh, your pronunciation, um, you know, basically wireless technology, uh, which is something kind of interesting because this is this is old Tesla technology that they're talking about here. At Matthew, I've talked before about Wardenclyffe and mm-hmm. Tesla had this idea that he would build this tower that would broadcast energy out to the world. Now, some people have gone back and re-looked at it and said, oh, well, what he's really talking about is like broadcast radio or radio controlled uh, stuff on a, on a big uh, level. But Tesla wanted to be able to give free power to everybody. He wanted to be able to fly airplanes with these things. He wanted to send electricity wirelessly around the world. And that's what they're doing here in the future. Now, Wardenclyffe uh, was turned on and it caused a giant earthquake and, and uh, people are like, shut it down, and so he had to shut it down. And then people were like, ah, he's building a death ray, and so they made him tear it down. And now they're working on building a Warden Cliff, um, a museum. I helped, uh, I think, Kickstarter or Patreon or something, many, many, many years ago, to get something built like that. But you know, we now are people are starting to see how wireless charging, wireless transmission of electricity, is working, and they're using a lot of Tesla technology for that. So it's interesting that in the '70s, Paul Levitz, who wrote this issue. Mm-hmm. is i don't know if he's aware of tesla in the 1970s or what's going on but he kind of tapped into that to that tesla zeitgeist that everybody is uh, all excited about
2: and i actually went back to check because my brain said where had we heard about these fusion power spheres before apparently mm-hmm. the fusion power sphere name goes all the way back to the adventure comics days under hamilton and Fort back in 65. Mm-hmm. So this is actually an example of of uh, a little bit of continuity play by Levitz who in this issue to me really becomes the Paul Levitz that we know from The Ongoing Legion. The Paul Levitz that I remember from reading Legion when I was a kid shows up here pretty much for the first time. Yeah. Um this is a this is an interesting story because of the way it's very st- very small in a lot of ways. What they do is they start with the legion of superheroes, 24 super members. But forget all that. We got five guys. And the five guys all have a specific thing that they end up doing. The five guys use their little niche powers or in the mm-hmm. case of Ultra Boy, all the powers in, you know, various ways. To actually resolve the crisis without a wildfire or a Superboy or a Monel coming in to take care of everything with, you know, the big Kryptonian power set. And it really feels like classic Legion. Everybody has something to contribute storytelling.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, you say it's a small story, but again, this is what? a disaster issue. And what happens is Fenton has gone in and messed with the, the wiring of the, the power bubbles. Uh, and if this power bubble blows up, it will decimate, it will turn the entirety of Metropolis to a sheet of glass as Brainiac five says. And so I then had to go back in and say, okay, how big is Metropolis? Just to kind of put this onto a scale for people to kind of keep in mind in 1976 in Superman number, um, Superman number 300 Metropolis was basically the Eastern seaboard corridor comprising Washington, DC, Philadelphia, New York, and Boston, and all the territory in between. So that's quite a quite a big area. We, under Paul Levitz's uh control, by 1984 Metropolis had kind of shrunk. Uh this was in the official map published by uh DC Comics. Um covered Massachusetts, most of Massachusetts, all of Rhode Island and Connecticut, New York state from Long Island to the eastern tip of the Catskills and a large portion of northern New Jersey, which again, still nothing to sneeze at and if you've got a nuclear device, that's about to go haywire and level, you know, basically one, what is that, one-sixth of the United States into nothingness? Uh, that's pretty scary.
2: The tri-state area, basically, is going to go up.
1: Yeah, and and then in addition to that, because of the urgency of trying to shut down the nuclear reaction, we do get a disaster movie because you have someone like, um, um, oh, who are the guys out rescuing? Colossal Boy and...
2: Ultra Boy and Ultra Boy. Timberwolf.
1: Yeah, Timberwolf is out there and he's like, oh, come along, you two or three people. Let me help you out from under this. And he lifts up, you know, part of a building and he looks and he sees all of downtown metropolis just on fire and exploding. Uh, and, and so it's it really does bring back that feeling of those disaster movies of the 70s.
2: Yeah. And it's actually really well drawn. This is an interesting story because, uh, it's Arvel Jones Mm -hmm. who is a name that I don't think we've seen in the Legion context, but who will show up here and there doing Legion fill-ins, uh, with inks by, um, Bob Layton, Mm -hmm. who not long after this would become known as one of the primary big name early creators on Iron Man. He's the guy, uh, who co-wrote or co-did, uh, The Demon in a Bottle storyline with David Michelinie. So it's really great to see uh, just a well-put-together series of images here. Oh, yeah. I wish that Jones and, you know, Jones and Layton were the team on the regular Legion book right now, because Mm -hmm. this issue looks great.
1: So when the power sphere gets disrupted, all the electricity in Metropolis goes out. Again, this entire big complex uh, in the <laughs> north northeast part Meg- of the United States, mega city one for lack well, mega city one though actually goes down the entire eastern seaboard, and that's why we've talked about that before. But that's why I really wanted to go and look and see what the you know the the map of the DC universe and what these other places had said the size of this is. Um, but keep in mind this means that there's no electricity in hospitals, there's planes crashing left and right. Uh, Ultra Boy has to go in and and, uh, run the turbines by his hand by cranking them so people don't die in the hospital.
2: And how how incredibly convenient that the Metropolis General Hospital emergency room has. Uh, just really great handles that you can grab and turn the turbines with your hands. Well, I think that, it's
1: supposed I mean, to be. I think it's supposed to be the crankshaft, and he's turning the crankshaft by hand.
2: Keep in mind, this is Metropolis. It may actually be a Superman thing, so that Superman can come in and save the day if necessary.
1: Yeah, but you know what? The it's really possible. weird part about this story is the really, exactly. really weird and odd part of this story is this issue hit stands DC Special Number Twenty Eight hit stands in June and July of nineteen seventy seven. That's the That's the cover date, right? So it's been on the stands maybe a month or two at this point. It was probably written three months, so it was probably written in February. But in 1977, July 13th and 14th was the great New York City blackout (sighs) where all of New York went dark for two days. It is a very fascinating story if you want to... It basically is the fault of one fuse that didn't trigger when it was supposed to trigger, and it caused all of of new york and a lot of uh portions of new york and new jersey and, and these other places to go dark so how weird would that be you're your little matthew peterson Matty maddie p who had just gone down to the comic book store and you picked this up and you started reading it and you get to the part of metropolis and then all of a sudden the power goes out in new york city
2: keep in mind i'm six uh at this time i don't remember the existence of New York City at the age of six. No, I'm just
1: so. saying that if you were in New York City, little Maddie P that would be who's reading this and all of a sudden you're reading this particular story and all of a sudden all of New York goes dark. I would probably be freaking out a little bit about this, but I think that's really fascinating that just as a coincidence, this issue mm-hmm. comes out with Metropolis going dark in the same month that New York City goes dark. I think that's pretty cool.
0: Also, is this eerie. issue
1: has the magnificent return of the chemical king. Oh, my God. It's been forever since we've seen Chemical King. I cannot wait. (laughs) I cannot wait to see Chemical King be around for a long, long time and have many wonderful adventures with the rest of the Legion members, and he plays an important role here, right? I mean, he's using his chemical reaction to slow down the nuclear chains that are going on so, so Phantom Girl can slip in and, uh, and uh, fix everything. Meanwhile, Brainiac 5 is just standing there going, I can't do anything because of the radiation.
2: Doesn't he have a force field? Wouldn't a force field protect him?
1: I, you would think, because if he's able to go out into space, now maybe this is, I mean, Cos- uh, Brainiac cannot go into the heart of a sun. Too much radiation, True. too heat. But he can survive in space, which, again, we don't have the protections of the, the Van Allen belts and all that stuff that are protecting us from cosmic rays. So maybe he can't go into the power sphere and fix things because it would be the equivalent of walking into the heart of the
2: sun. Possibly. And, you know, this is a really, a, aside from your uh, obvious foreshadowing, this is really a good what foreshadowing. And one of.
1: What are you talking about?
2: We'll get there. One of the best, I think, uh, Chemical King kind of showcases, because not only does he use his powers to save the day, Phantom Girl and Chemical King save Metropolis pretty much by themselves at huge personal risk. At the end of the issue, they are both unconscious from the strain. But he also just wades in and starts a uh, punching when they find Fenton Pike the first time. Chemical King has no super strength, no mm-hmm. invulnerability. He's just a guy who can mess with chemical reactions and he's going toe to toe with uh, discount Iron Man. That's pretty impressive. It's the most action we've seen out of him in forever. I mean, he hasn't been in the book for like 17 issues. And at that point, all he did was kind of go, oh, bummer. Matter Eater Lad is quitting or something.
1: Yeah, but now he's back and he's going to be, he's like, I'm back I'm going to take my job seriously. I'm going to stick around for a long time, you guys. Seriously, I mean it this time. Also, this issue ends rather weirdly, right? Because It just
2: sort of ends, yeah. It's
1: so like- so the end of the issue is the, you know, Chemical King can no longer control the nuclear or nuclear uh, uh, reactions. And Brainiac 5 is, is screaming, get out of there, get out of there, get out of there. And, and Phantom Girl is just like, okay, I've got this all put together. And she comes out and she collapses. And that's the end of the story, even though the, 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 you know, the power has been restored and everything's good. That final panel kind of leaves it open that, did she make the ultimate sacrifice in trying to save all yeah. of Metropolis? It's just really weird how that story ends with just her collapsed on the floor and Brainiac 5 just standing there going, oh, this isn't good.
2: Yeah, and we went into that a time or two before. Usually it's Carrie Bates who runs out of time and has to just wrap it all up in the last page, this is a 12 page story. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they pack in a lot of, you know, a lot of emotion, a lot of fighty, fighty, a lot of, Oh my God, are they going to make it? And then just, I think Levitt's kind of miscalculated. We got to the end. It's like, Oh, okay. Everybody's unconscious.
1: Well, at least least a word of just like, Oh goodness, she's passed out, but at least she'll be safe. We've saved the day once again, you know, something like that, just to let you know. Because here's the weird thing. Yeah, her ordeal is over. Man, if that doesn't sound like she's dead.
2: (laughs) You know, in 1977, I wouldn't have put it past them. I mean, they've killed Legionnaires before. It's not like they couldn't kill a Legionnaire again.
1: Yeah. So here's the weird thing about that ending. Because this is an anthology series and Mm -hmm. the next month's issue is going to be all about, you know, Crocagators or something. Chocodiles. That's what the next issue is going to be all about is Chocodiles.
2: Chocodiles. Yes.
1: People who are just casually picking this up for the anthology are just like, oh, yeah, this one's about disasters. This is great. And even if they're if they're a passing fan or a casual fan of the Legion of Superheroes, I think many of them probably would have read this and said, oh, my God, this girl is dead. Mm -hmm. And then they go over to the next Superboy issue. And I don't I don't think she's in the next issue. Oh, yeah, she is in the next issue. No, she's not. She's not in the next issue. And I so that's
2: in two twenty eight. No, I'm no. Thinking you're of Shadow thinking of Lass.
1: Shadow Lass, yeah. And so it's like really weird that you think, oh, maybe she's dead, and they don't mention anything about it. So it's a it's an interesting story. It really mm-hmm. harkens back to the to the golden age of the the disaster movies. But man has got a weird ending that really feels finite.
2: Yeah, and it's it's a weird ending, but it's such a really good story and it so nicely uses Phantom Girl and Chemical King and to a lesser degree Brainiac 5 you know mm-hmm. the characters who have specific kind of niche powers you you leave you know Ultra Boy and Timberwolf to do the fighty fighty and then you've got the brains and the chemical reactions and the able to walk through walls they're the ones who really do the hard work. It feels like a very solid Legion story, even though it does promise at the very beginning, 24 members of the Legion and we get five. I'm mad about that. And I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to live mad about that. I think
1: there really, there's a really good discussion that runs throughout the issue about uh, what makes a hero and mm-hmm. what does it take to be a hero? Is it lifting heavy buildings off of injured people and carrying them through the fires? Is it, is it uh cranking the, the, the shaft, uh, and keeping the power on? Or is it somebody, you know, that you would kind of dismiss like Chemical King or Phantom Girl uh, and having them come in and and save the day? Uh, I think that's, there's a really good discussion about the hero and how it really sometimes doesn't take 24 people to deal with a situation. Sometimes a hero is that one person who's doing the right thing at the right moment to save the day. So this issue had a Batman story, uh, which was cool. Uh, I forget what the second story was for some reason. I want to say Aquaman, Aquaman related. Yeah, Aquaman. And then we have the Legion of Superheroes, and all of these are disaster things. Mm-hmm. There is a very interesting, like, I think a three page article at the back of this issue that runs through all of the big natural disaster events in the DC Universe, some of them coinciding with real events. But most of them were like, oh, and then there was the time the Suicide Squad had to go in and deal with this big major disaster. And then there's that time that uh, the Spectre had to deal with the, the explosion on Krakatoa. And it's like, oh, OK, this is really interesting. And I just thought it was it was a nice way to fill in the rest of the issue to give you some more pages. Uh, but at the yeah, same time, I was like, well, you could have used those for comic book stories.
2: Yeah, but you know who wrote that?
1: Uh, it was Paul Levitz, I believe, wrote that.
2: Um, no, not no, no, man, this feels like pure Nelson Bridwell to me. But either way, I really appreciate that. I like those sort of things. I like it when they can give you an old school text passage. Because in the golden age, it was common, you would have entire stories, there are literally characters who appeared multiple times in comics, but never actually got drawn because they only appeared in text pieces in various mm-hmm. books so mm-hmm. i really like that i like having something to read read yeah even though you know i don't want 50 60 pages of it
1: and unfortunately it's all done in a few years in less than 10 years with uh, crisis on infinite earths
0: yeah If you enjoy the show, we would appreciate your support. You can find out more and become a Legion Clubhouse member at patreon.com slash major spoilers. Superboy number 228. That a world might live, a Legionnaire must die. Published June 1977, written by Paul Levitz with art by James Sherman. Synopsis, on the eve of war, a legionnaire will fall.
1: Superboy 228, Matthew, the return of the espionage squad.
2: Mm -mm. And the cover... Which one of these heroes will die? Will it be Superboy, the foundation of the DC universe, or a founding legionnaire? Perhaps two guys that we know and love, or maybe the schmuck we haven't seen in 37 issues. One of these heroes will die.
1: Is it going to be Shadow Lass? We've mentioned her name a couple of times. Maybe it'll be Light Lass. Could it be 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 Light Light Lass Lass now? Hey, wait, there's a a panel where Light Lass, uh, they're doing an old switcheroo where she and Shadow Lass are transforming into these two secretaries of the Australian governor. And
2: Dar- name.
1: she has a different haircut and a totally different costume before she uh, puts on, you know, the other girl's clothes. Is that an, a look that we have seen before with with uh, light last? Because I don't remember that particular short hair on her or that costume on her before. Now, that could the just costume, be that could just be it me not remembering.
2: It's 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 unzipping. Hmm. Because that is the costume she's had since at least issue 200. That's the Cockrum costume. Uh, It's basically shorts and a little leotard top with uh, either, I think it's a feather on her chest right now. Um, And she also has had the short haircut, but we haven't really seen a lot of Light Lass in probably another 10 issues or so. She pops up here and there, but mostly I think the last time we saw her was as Timberworth's girlfriend for like a split second in one story. So mm-hmm. okay, it's not a new look, but the way it's drawn here definitely makes it look different.
1: Okay, well, so uh, that, that was something that just stood out for me. I mean, there's a lot of things that stand out for me in this issue. Uh, first of all, apparently, there's a new Earth president, Earth President Candrew.
2: Well, there's actually some questions about that, too. Um, because, <laughs> yeah, and this is, this is weird. Legion, who's who in the Legion of Superheroes? Identifies the president in this issue as the same president that we have been seeing, the same character as Kendro Boltax, who, as you hmm. remember, was inter, in, in who, as you remember, was impersonated by Universo like right. 300 issues ago.
1: It's like a uh, Adventure Comics three fifty 350 something.
2: Three fifty nine. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. we. We saw him just a few issues ago in 212.
1: And he had a full head of hair, if I remember correctly.
2: He did. He had dark hair with white temples, and the character is drawn here not only with a beard and no hair, but he's drawn as a person of color. And I can't tell if they're implying that he's uh, meant to be East Indian or if he's meant to be a black character, but he is completely different visually, but according to official DC continuity, and granted, this is... Who's who in the Legion would be post-crisis continuity. Yeah. This is the same president, Kendro Boltax, Kendro, Kendro is the same guy supposedly that we've been seeing as the president of earth for a couple <laughs> 50, of years, now.
1: For 20 years, something like that. Yeah.
2: Forever. Yeah. At least 10. Cause adventure comics, three fifty nine would have been 64, 65.
1: Yeah. That's crazy, man. Uh, yeah. So the president of, of earth has a problem and it's, it's that, <laughs> that criminal Island down under where the governor Daragon uh, has decided that it is time for him to rise up and form an army and have it walk the earth and take over the place because uh, nothing like that's happened for 200 years, except for that one issue where that one soldier uh, was awakened Mm -hmm. and thought that that his ghost was, was walking and he was blowing things up and, but apparently no other military has ever attacked earth in 200 years. Yeah,
2: I don't know that that's true. But this is interesting because Daragon keeps saying that he's going to start World War Seven. Yeah. And I'm like, well, where are the other five? Because well, they have
1: talked about those in the past, right? They've, they've talked about, I know in previous episodes, we've talked about the previous uh, wars. In fact, that one that I was just referencing, the, the last soldier's march or whatever, the the ghost guy that is coming yeah. in. That was the last world war that that was taking place. And then if you want to extrapolate some of the big... Civilization-ending events that we've seen in uh, Brian Michael Bendis's Legion. What was it called? Uh, Millennium. It Millennium. Yeah, in the Millennium run, where they talk about those. Those would kind of work out to be three of the big, three of the big world wars that could have decimated everything leading up to this moment. Mm.
2: You are right about soldier. Soldier was a a warrior in a previous world war, but I don't Mm -hmm. think they numbered it.
1: Yeah, that was just my impression. And and we've talked before, even last episode, uh, the dude was all set on. You got to tell me where the next world war starts, because I want to be the one that starts it. Well, apparently you just need to uh, make sure all of your fat soldiers are dressed in spandex and and telling uh, telling the soldiers how to how to fight and (laughs) get them in Australia, because, man, that's uncomfortable.
2: I yeah I I love the fact that basically the costumes of uh, Deragon soldiers are uh, Brainwave Junior from Infinity Incorporated yeah yeah which is kind of neat but you are right about the fat guy in spandex that is just terribly uncomfortable I mean I
1: don't mind a a, a fat person right
2: no actually but, I'm I'm glad that they did that
1: but it just, just looks so out of place exists. for him to be their drill sergeant or their yeah. commandant, or whatever, and to be out of shape and be saying, yep, uh, Governor, I got all these guys all whipped into shape for you, didn't I? Come on Remember, up here. Remember,
2: Australia, so he's probably like, the men are trained and ready to air Oh, going.
1: no, no, they, they really spell out that, you know, Australia has gone through a lot of changes in the last 1,000 years. It used to be a city on the edge of a desert, but now the city of uh, Australia has grown so large, and they've terraformed all of the outback to where it's no longer... Uh, sand and desert and heat. It's all farmland, as far as the eye can see, corn and wheat and cotton.
2: So you're now explaining that this is why Australians talk like they're from the American South. Yes, exactly. In the 31st century. In the the
1: 31st century, century, yes.
2: Right. I I appreciate your (laughs) consistency and your attempt to build that. I'm still going to hear them. There are many levels of readiness, leader, to demonstrate these two are going to fight each other.
1: I wonder, you know, the accent part does bring up a really interesting point, because Colossal Boy and Wildfire are undercover, and they are in with the troops while Superboy is sneaking around doing Superboy sneaky things. Right. And they actually talk with the governor.
2: They do. He forces them to fight. He's like, you two, get out here and fight. And they make a big deal in in the story here about how they have to hide their identity and they can't show off their superpowers and the first thing you see is timberwolf doing this 9 foot high thrusting oh, yeah, side yeah. kick mm-hmm. and then back flipping and jumping and kicking i mean how is he not using his powers
1: yeah it's really weird because in that big kick that he's doing it's like the action figure's leg got turned upside down it really looks weird <laughs> In that piece.
2: Uh, That will happen.
1: Yeah. So but again, he talks to them directly and says, well, when it comes time for promotions, I'm going to give it to you fellows. And they're like, oh, well, we're certainly looking forward to that. Your governorship. (laughs) The whole reason the espionage squad is going to Australia is because why would the governor of the seventh largest area on Earth be wanting to start a war? Everybody has agreed that war is not good for the planet. And it's basically been outlawed. And so they're going in to figure out what is going on. And of course, Chameleon Boy is there. And as we mentioned, Shadow Lass and Light Lass, Superboy, uh, Colossal Boy, and um, uh, Wildfire are all there doing their thing. No, sorry, Timberwolf. I get those two confused because they're both uh, idiots and they're both arrogant. They both uh, have
2: orange pants on.
1: And and they're both arrogant. (laughs) And only one of them is in love with Light Lass. Or is it?
2: The other one's in love with Dawnstar. It's fine.
1: Anyway, there was a thing that was said in DC special number 28 when they are, you know, somewhat interrogating Fenton Pike. And they're like, Where did you get this armor? Where did you get this power and knowledge? And he's like, I'm not going to tell you. You'll never guess. And then here we find that the governor is working with the Dark Circle. The Dark Circle. And I'm wondering if maybe Fenton Pike wasn't working with the Dark Circle. I know it's never said and probably never brought up again, but it just seems the Dark Circle has been this nefarious, you know, shadow group that has been manipulating all of D.C. history. Uh, And for them to kind of pop up here made me wonder, maybe they're also working around with Fenton Pike because with World War Seven about to uh, kick off, they basically want to destroy not even half the planet. They want to destroy the entire planet.
2: I don't know. I think the official, if I recall correctly, the official uh, explanation is he stole the armor to protect him from radiation. But I kind of like the idea that maybe somehow the Dark Circle might be hiding around and, you know, nudging things and manipulating things. But they very clearly are involved in this issue. And it's up to Chemical King, of all people.
1: Oh, boy, I'm glad Chemical King is here again you know, he said last issue that he was going to step up and he was going to be part of this series going forward. He wasn't going to, you know, uh, shove off his uh, his responsibilities. He's here for the long haul. Really? Yes.
2: Okay. well, he's able to use his power to stabilize chemical reactions or mess with chemical reactions, whatever his power is. Chemical kingery to take the hyper beam that somehow Daragon is using to communicate in space and strengthen it so they can find out who it's from. But for a split second, Superboy, who is actually flying him through space in what seems to be like a, I don't know, a pet rock with a lab in it, uh, has to leave. And they kind of mess up just a little bit. Which gives Daragon the idea that, oh my gosh, someone has intercepted my transmission. Someone's tapering, tampering with my hyperbeam. And now it's time to fight. We must yell. We must scream. And Daragon immediately calls for his uh, girls. Literally says, girls, get in here on the double. And of course, you may recall that his secretaries or executive assistants are in fact legionnaires in disguise. That causes Chameleon Boy to panic. And turn into Cthulhu.
1: <laughs> Not quite Cthulhu, and, but certainly a B movie monster.
2: Uh, hi, I'm Satan. I'll be back later in the picture. But boom, he blows up and he totally gives the game away. And it's it's a weirdly out-of-character moment for Chameleon Boy, but I kind of like the idea of him misinterpreting, making a mistake in the heat of battle, and then the team force you know being forced to kind of Figure out another way around it. It's, it's which is kind of which is
1: apparently fighting because Timberwolf is all upset that his girlfriend has been captured, and he goes in for the Hayaz, uh, not realizing oh, yeah. that Karate Kid is the master of the Hayaz. Um, but there's a there's a weird part too where Shadow Lass and Light Lass are dressed up as the secretaries, and mm-hmm. then the very next panel when he has them captured, they're back in their costumes.
2: Yes. Shadow Lass actually is not only in her costume, but is now missing the uh, pink makeup that she was wearing all over her entire body. Yeah, it's
1: really weird, man.
2: It is. I think the implication is that somehow Chameleon Boy brought their costumes. I don't know. No,
1: that doesn't even make sense.
2: It doesn't because he was a teeny tiny bug and teeny tiny bugs cannot carry even the tiny brief costume that Shadow Lass insists on wearing.
1: So Colossal Boy and Superboy and Timberwolf and everybody are doing the punching and the powing and all the things. And then Chemical King has to do something to uh, stop something. Mm-hmm. He has to use his, his chemically powers.
2: Yes. Basically, uh, there is a field and the field is going to blow up and destroy one seventh of the planet. And Chemical King is going to cause that field, the energy field, to decay faster than it can set off a bomb, something, something, pseudoscience. Jordy modifies the E-band wave, and he has to use his powers, but in so doing, he's exposing himself to radiation.
1: So why does his skin change color in the last panel, two panels of this issue?
2: I think the implication is that he's burnt,
1: well, then they need to make him somehow. burning because all of a sudden it's like they, he goes from a, a white guy into a person of color. And it's just like, well, that's really odd. I mean, you would think that if they're going to show somebody burning up or something, at mm-hmm. least draw some smoke lines or some stink lines or some flames on him.
2: Now keep it, in mind, we are looking at the original issues and yeah. 30 year old comics. You can have weird color balance issues. Yeah, um, but still. I like the fact <laughs> I, I i get it i agree with you i like the fact that superboy is there but daragon is smart enough that the radiation includes kryptonite radiation mm-hmm. which means that superboy can in, get involved and chemical king is forced to do an invisible kid i mean sorry is forced to do a pharaoh Lad. i mean oh wait no yeah he's he's you uh, mean he's
1: you dead he made the
2: ultimate sacrifice You've been waiting to say that for the whole episode.
1: (laughs) And he's dead and he's not ever coming back?
2: That's true.
1: It's almost like like you saw the writing on the wall the minute that this character, who you haven't seen for 27 issues, suddenly appears to say, I'm back for real, you guys.
2: I saw the writing on the cover (laughs) that said, (laughs) one of these heroes will die. But more importantly, this issue has given Chemical King, maybe for the first time, some character... It's just sad that that character is a weird inferiority complex. I mean, yeah. it does kind of explain why he's never at the forefront and why he disappears for long periods. And in this issue, he spends most of his time kind of nerding out in a lab, Yeah. even though that lab is flying through space. Yeah. So it feels like Levitz is trying to give us an explanation for where he's been, right before they kill him and uh, i get it i'm mad that colossal boy lost his sleeves again they were back well you know he grew so big
1: that they fell off kind of like when the hulk hulks out and he loses all of his clothes that, that's what happened to colossal boy only his is power not, yeah. is when he grows to colossal size his his sleeves fall off
2: and it's not what happened
1: and that's how people don't understand they they don't realize it's it's him that's, that is when he's in normal that. size because he has sleeves and thus he can remain on the espionage squad because no one knows what what he is in, in his superhero life. I, I, you know, it's kind of like it's kind of like Superboy. You know, he puts on the glasses and everyone's like, oh, hey, Clark. Did you see Superboy around here just a little bit ago? And he's like, no, Lana, I haven't seen him at all. And then he winks at the camera. And then, you know, the minute that Lana turns around, he takes off the glasses and Lana turns back around. And he's like, oh, Superboy, I didn't see you here. Where did Clark go? Oh, I don't know, Lana. He had to step out for a minute to do boy things. And then Superboy winks at the camera again.
2: You know, you can make think, fun of Clark Kent's I think, glasses.
1: I think Colossal Boy does the same thing. It's like, oh, uh, what's what's Colossal Boy's real name? Largan? Jim. Jim, that's right. Cowboy Jim. Oh, hey, Jim. How you doing? Did you see Colossal Boy on TV last week? Oh, yeah, I did. He was saving that bridge. Yeah, did you see the muscles on him? Oh, man, that guy has some guns, right? And Jim's like, (laughs) yeah, it's like, hey, uh, we'd like to see your your big muscles there, Jim. Oh, I'd show you. But I got these big long sleeves on Uh, maybe (laughs) another time, you guys. Oh, okay, Jim. And then Jim goes out and he goes, little do they know ha, that I've got big old arms. And he goes, whoa whoa, 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 And then he's got these big old guns. And they're like, oh, my gosh, Colossal Boy. Jim, Jim, you got to see Colossal Boy's right here. Ha, 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 you guys, ha, Jim, look at
0: these guns. Pow, pow.
2: And that episode of Super Friends <laughs> was brought to you by <laughs> Steven's Fertile Imagination. Because, holy moly, what was that?
1: <laughs> that was classic, man. You loved oh, yes. it. You want to read that issue. Superboy and Colossal Boy going undercover.
2: You know, you can make fun of Clark Kent's glasses all you want, but I saw a picture of Zoe Deschanel without her bangs. Had no idea who she is. None.
1: That's Just what like, I'm Who's saying. that
2: girl? Sleeves? That
1: girl? No sleeves.
2: Sn- <laughs> Stop with the sleeves. We're in mourning here.
1: You bring, brought it up. Oh, so that, now we have, what, four, four Legion members who have died. We've got Pharaoh Lad. third. Yeah, we've got Pharaoh <laughs> Lad. We've got Invisible Kid, Chemical mm-hmm. King, and mm-hmm. one-third of Triplicate Girl.
2: Yep, so, yeah, three and a third. And I don't know if the way it's played, I would ever really count the loss of one of Lornu as a Legion death. I mean, I feel she like get later. A statue, it did she? Definitely...
1: she didn't get a statue, did she?
2: She doesn't get a full on statue. No, Does she get a, third um, of a
1: statue. It's just like the knees down.
2: No, they actually treat it as, oh, well, you know, yeah, it's not until the late 80s that I think they even start building her any angst about the loss of one of selves, because they never treated her power as three separate individuals. Right, right. They kind of treat it as one girl who can split into three. And then as that changes. We do see that, but yeah, and I will say this, that last panel, there's a look on Chameleon Boy's face that just says, I'm going to kill somebody.
1: Oh, yeah, this because is this is kind really of a cliffhanger, dramatic. right? It's like, oh, yeah. oh, the dark circle has killed one of ours. You know what that means? Jim, do it. And He's like, rips off his sleeves. and He's like, whoa, 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 whoa. it's clobbering time. Oh, sorry. That's trademarked by somebody else. It's Jim. T- I mean, I'm not revealing my secret identity. I'm Colossal Boy time.
2: It's time to go to the gym.
1: Yeah. See, everybody loves how that episode ends. We have come to the end of another Legion clubhouse. Matthew, what have we learned this week?
2: We have learned that foreshadowing is your key to quality literature.
1: I think it also means if you give Stephen a Dr. Pepper, he can come up with some kick-ass stories that put Paul Levitz to shame.
2: And we've learned that among her powers, Shadow Last counts the ability to apply makeup to her whole body in mere seconds.
1: Thank you so much for checking us out on the Legion Clubhouse. Hey, we really enjoy everyone who writes us uh, emails, who posts comments on the Major Spoilers website, or who even just interact with us on Twitter. Uh, We really enjoy all of those interactions, and we want you to keep them up. So if you have some thoughts on this issue, some reactions to this episode, whatever it may be, just uh, here comes Jason with all the contact information. We hope to hear from you real soon.
0: The Legion Clubhouse is a production of Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC, and is produced by Steven Schleicher. Your hosts were Matthew Peterson and Stephen Schleicher. You can follow Matthew at Mighty King Cobra and Stephen at Major Spoilers. You can follow this podcast on Twitter at Legion Clubhouse. If you have questions or comments, send them to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. I'm Jason Inman. Until next time, eat it, Grandpa.
1: This podcast is copyright 2020 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. So until next time, I'm Sleeve Steve.
2: And I'm mortified.
0: When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner.